and welcome to Sutra Sidewatch, Episode 2. I'm your host, Cameron Shustar. And I'm Brandon. And we are from both Sutra Side Talk and Apollo City Comics Podcast. And this is the second episode of our brand new show, Sutra Sidewatch, which is a movie analysis podcast. And uh, if you want to check out more of our work, uh, I'm on Sutra Side Talk, which you are probably already subscribed to since you are listening on this channel that has it. But of course, you can find it on pretty much all major podcast platforms, as well as uh, following us on Twitter and Instagram and Apollo City Comics podcast. Where can people find that? Everywhere. Anything. Just Google us. You can find us on every streaming podcast platform. We're on YouTube. Our YouTube has a bunch of visuals. Um, It's a comic book commentary show. So we just overview series and we give you guys some background information and really give you some insight into the story to make it easier for you to get into the comic book universe and we cover everything from comics films uh video games anything comic book related it's going to be on our show and cameron's frequently on it with our movie commentary so please check those out and kick back watch a movie with us i'm rooted down there like swamp thing (laughs) straight up yeah it doesn't happen unless you're there now but man i am so excited to go over part two of our david fincher month yeah this has been enlightening it's been crazy it's been super entertaining um like we said last show he's a director i was really interested in but just never had the time to like dive into his work and now this show has made me like i want to watch everything i want to see everything he's ever done because it's just so damn good um seven what did you think about it just right off the bat really good it it, it like uh it it was both horrifying and enlightening at the same time is right. what i'd say mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh it's funny because our first episode we did fight club which mm-hmm. comes out after this movie so seven came out before this and it was uh going through i guess like the casting um or the info like fight club came out i think what 98 99 something like that yeah I and this know. was 1995 so it was a few years before that and uh, did you want me to, or did you want to talk say who uh, directed and wrote? Uh, for Seven? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, the writer actually, you know, I was really interested in him. Um, Andrew Kevin Walker. Um, he's the one who wrote it. David Fincher, of course, directed it. Uh, and Andrew Kevin Walker, this was like, he wasn't a big time script writer, movie writer when this came out. It was very still kind of just coming out. He only had a few uh, writing titles ahead of him. Robot Holocaust in 1986, Brain Scan 1994, Hideaway 1995. And then Seven was making its way around like the companies and people were talking about it like all over the place. And it landed in David Fincher's hands. And he's like, this is, I, I've got to do this. This, you know, And we've talked about last episode how frustrated Fincher was with, you know, mainstream movie making. And this is, you know, thank God he did this because this kind of really led him into great directions. Um, I believe the game came after this too. And then fight club. And this, this guy, uh, Walker has actually kind of worked with Fincher on all of these other films. He worked with him on, uh, the game. He did some stuff. He did stuff in fight club. He's gosh, his part in fight club is super weird. Um, he was kind of like a background, like a sleepy background character, but he has small cameos in Fincher's movies for some reason. Which is interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this movie, it's it's funny because it is like a darker brother to Fight Club. And yes. I would say, just because uh, looking at it, I, I made some points here where if you look at the character played by Kevin Spacey, John Doe, uh, versus the character played by both Brad Pitt and Edward Norton, mm-hmm. uh, Tyler Durton in Fight Club, there are pretty much two spectrums of change and like awakening or waking up and whatnot. Uh, you look at Kevin Spacey's where he's like, I want to change the world. It's full of apathy. No one cares. Everyone's just riddled with like sin and whatnot. And no one's waking up and looking around and going like, you know, what's wrong with everything here? And you could tell too, like the same sentiment just in a very different direction is seen by uh, Detective... Uh, Somerset played by Morton Freeman Mm -hmm. and he's also tired of everything but obviously he's just in a different stance where he's just like I'm gonna I'm gonna leave whereas Kevin uh John Doe's like I'm gonna fix things and make my message heard for all those that can witness it and you see a very dark a dark way of doing it where he does it through murder and then you look at Fight Club 
where you have Tyler making a difference of starting a, not necessarily an organization, well, I guess a club, but uh, a movement of people that are like, hey, we need to wake up and realize what we used to be and not like kind of what kind of drones we've become now mm-hmm. and making them care enough that one of them even dies like in their cause and they go on without murdering people really but they set the banks you know to zero they mm-hmm. they free a lot of things and what they their actions will potentially then wake people up because of the chaos it causes and in a way it's more of a brighter take on it where as dark as Fight Club looks, it's like now if you watch Seven, you're like, oh, Fight oh. Club was the good. That was the nice one. That yeah. was the happy one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you look at Seven and you're just like, oh, oh my goodness gracious. Like, <laughs> I see the hole we've crawled out of and yeah. like evolved into with this. Yeah, I got to totally agree with that, Um, especially because in Fight Club, Brad Pitt, you know, his character's like the leader of it. And he's the one who's, you know, kind of moving everything around. And Edward Norton is kind of the follower in the sense. Um, and in Seven, Brad Pitt is like the follower. And, you know, Kevin Spacey is kind of like the leader trying to start this organization. Although in that sense, it's kind of comparable. Um, and also the contrastingness between Brad Pitt's character and Morgan Freeman's. Morgan Freeman is the old beat up cop trying to get out of it. He's sick of everything. He knows how evil and how bad this city is. And then Brad Pitt is like kind of the egotistical young um, detective coming into it. And he wanted to get transferred there and fight all this stuff and, you know, just start helping. Make some change. Yeah. Yeah. Make some change. And it's, it's so weird. Uh, No matter what Brad Pitt's characters are always just trying to make change. It doesn't matter what position he's in, if he's a leader or follower, but he's the one that's initiating some sort of change in your mindset and outlook of things. Yeah. And Looking at it too, it's funny because when you look at Morgan Freeman's character as uh, the detective, like he has been there so long and he's completely, with him being jaded by it, mm-hmm. he hasn't seen anything improve. Like if anything, things have gotten worse. So it feels like daunting that like, you know, what you're doing isn't really making a difference necessarily. And having that relationship with Brad Pitt's character where he is a five-year homicide veteran. Like he's already mm-hmm. been a homicide detective for five years. He's already done that, and previously, you know, he was, like, a regular cop and did all of his other stuff going on the beat, I guess. And he feels like he's earned this. He's done a lot already, and he's invested a lot of years into it. But his transition to uh, Somerset's Precinct is that of, like, he's leaving college football and going to the NFL, and it's just (laughs) like, yeah, even the best college football team could get their asses kicked by the worst NFL team Mm -hmm. just because of the sheer difference there. And it's just interesting seeing how like he's fully experienced and it's like, oh, this is you're not in the minor league, dude. This is something different and your emotions haven't been honed yet. So you're very loose and don't know how to compose yourself. And it plays pretty much as the way his emotion goes, like it has him think of a good message, but then makes it so it becomes his weakness, his crutch, what gets him like carried away in trouble, all that kind of stuff. And there's two things to note about that, too, is that, you know, one, he's kind of this is one of Brad Pitt's earliest roles. He's still kind of unpolished. He's still kind of working on his acting career, trying to really shape himself. And you could see it. His acting performance in Seven compared to Fight Club, almost night and day, like really extreme measures. Um, And that's kind of, you know, the type of detective. He was perfect for this role, for how this detective came into play and his whole motivations and how he works. You kind of need that inexperienced actor to really fulfill that. Um, And, I mean, at some moments, the acting was a a little dry. I could say that, you know. um, You compared it to any other Morgan Freeman's roles. He really doesn't let loose very much. He's very kind of bland. And and not in a bad way either, but that's kind of what the city's done to him. And when you see Brad Pitt as inexperienced as he was at the time, kind of come into this dark area, um, he's kind of a brighter figure, but it just, it balances out. It's really odd how like where they were in the acting careers just totally matched where these characters were in the film as well. Um, And also if you look at the camera movements, and and what cameras were being used in certain scenes uh brad pitt's character had like a handheld camera so it was very loose and kind of all over the place especially towards the the chase scene where he's going through the city uh chasing kevin spacey and then towards the very end when he's just like 
losing it and he can't figure out what to do and he can't comprehend what's going on and it's the where's the boxing the whole camera is kind of shaky and all over the place but morgan's freeman's character whenever he's it's just him they're using a tripod so it's steady and smooth and like composed so there again too that kind of plays into what kind of characters they were um in the film as well and i thought that was really interesting on my second like kind of watch through that i noticed these bizarre camera uh movements and whatnot that's awesome i I didn't even notice that part like uh what i did see was at least for morgan freeman and brad pitt's characters like going on that emotion and stuff like because of his jadedness like he's become so composed and Mm -hmm. also like the city's killed his emotion so yeah he's pretty much like it's like full he goes by full logic yeah and in a sense it's like that's really good but also you can tell like he isn't someone that cares as much anymore either he's like i'm gonna do it to do it but otherwise there i i just don't have any feeling like it's been killed it's done Whereas mm-hmm. Brad Pitt is very much like he's highly illogical. Like it's literally like yeah. if you don't do this, we'll we'll be fine. Just don't just don't do that. And you know he plays completely off of emotion, and, and having that spectrum between them really does work. But by the end of it, like the way Kevin Kevin Spacey's character just like shatters his entire world. Mm-hmm. You can tell, like, without even the city needing to do it, it was just the single man pretty much probably did the same thing where he not necessarily lobotomized him, but he may or may not become, like, Morgan Freeman's character of, like, dead emotion Yeah, that fast. Like, instead of it beating him down over the years, it's just, like, instantaneous first case on the job <laughs> or yeah. first case in the new place. It's like, oh, well, that was the... That was a good tenure. It wasn't like eight days or anything, but whatever. You know, and that's what's kind of crazy about their story arcs, uh, their character arcs as well. Um, Morgan Freeman, at the very beginning of the film, you could just tell he's just trying to get away from the city. He's trying to distance himself as much as possible. He uses a metronome to fall asleep at night. Um, and he keeps on telling everyone, like, I don't know where I'm going to go, but it's going to be far away from here, just out of here. And by the end of the film, he even says, they're like, so what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? And he's like, well, I'll be around, implying that he's not going to leave anywhere. He's stuck in the city. He's going to stay. And, you know, Brad Pitt came into the city trying to embrace it and trying to attack it. By the end of the film, he's just like, fuck this, like, broken. He even gets arrested. <laughs> yeah, like, he's done. He's, tr- you know, he's no longer freely going into something he's he's trapped again um and it's just weird how just contrasting characters 100 percent throughout the entire film and i think that's what makes him so interesting it's such a simple thing too you know you get the old inexperienced cop with the new rookie you know what i mean like it's so the the formula is so simple but it worked so well for this um you know and kevin spacey's he wasn't in the original promos he wasn't in the credits. He's not in the intro credits. He's like really kind of hidden. You know, him playing John Doe, they kept him mysterious until he kind of shows up. And we don't know who the killer is till halfway through the movie, which I thought was really intriguing. You know, sometimes we get a glimpse within the first act of who it is, but it's not till way later till we actually see him and have him present himself. Yeah. And the fact that he was the uh, paparazzi guy in the stairwell too, oh, that was like, oh my God. That revelation, dude, that is... You know, that's the cool thing about this film. A lot of the revelations were amazing. And the way they only showed you just enough of what you needed to see or know to keep you in the dark, but have the story progress, like, you know, in a fluid manner, great stuff. However, I will say, and I think it is because it's the day and age we're watching this. This is 2021. This film came out in 1995. Um, we've all seen like clips of the where what's in the box what's in the box I've seen that clip my whole life and I never knew it was in the box I've never seen the movie and like this is my first like you know two times watching it but I, I knew it was Gwyneth Paltrow's head like right away like you're just like why is she an important character how is this guy gonna like affect them you know that he did something to Gwyneth Paltrow um, that wasn't shocking for me you know I guess but you know in 1995 you know, maybe up to like 2010, I'm sure that was a shocking moment. Just like, of course, like, how could you not, how, you know, you're blindsided probably, you know, in that day and age of what else came out in 1995? Didn't Spawn come out like that same year or something? Might have, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So like, you look at movies that came out in that time, it's just like, I could see why that was so shocking and amazing. Um, I don't know. How did you feel about that, Andy? 
I thought it was very um, in line with mm-hmm. the film itself because, I mean, it's, it's like what uh, Detective Somerset says. He's like, you know this isn't going to have a happy ending, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's pretty much foreshadowing, even though he's really talking to uh, Mills about it. It's just full foreshadowing of like, you know, this movie won't end happily. It's like, how does it end? Well, the murderer gets killed. It's like, oh, that's good. Yeah, after he kills uh, one of the main character's wives, the main character then will proceed to go to jail, and the one that wanted to retire is probably stuck there now. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, wait, what? <laughs> and it's yeah. like, yeah, and he, and he wanted to die. And it's like, oh, uh, oh, oh, so he <laughs> was all part of the, the plan. He still won. <laughs> and it was crazy because, you know, it's like looking at a murderer that wants to be remembered but not necessarily because it's like the whole thing of like they're wondering is this guy really insane is he fully in control and the man is fully in control obviously Mm -hmm. like he's fully in control he has a warped mind of thinking through things but like it's not necessarily it's that whole thing where people try to always uh deflect things saying it is he the only reason he's like this is because he's insane but it's like you always forget people could actually just be evil like that's a yeah it's just one of those things and that's i think that was such a cool part about his characters you know we we kind of you know i was kind of wrong what i just said we do get revealed like who he is because in the intro credits and that's kind of what david fincher does he kind of gives us a a hint of what's going to go on in those intro credits fight club we're digging through the brain and it's all psychological and whatnot this one we're literally seeing him like peel off the his fingertips with the uh the box cutter and to take them off and everything and writing in the notebooks and looking at these different things. And also those notebooks, those are real notebooks. Everything in that room in his, uh, in John Doe's like apartment, those were handwritten notebooks and created for the film. Like the set Were those ever guy. auctioned off? I don't know. We should look into that. That'd be <laughs> super cool. One. Yeah. <laughs> and they even looked at past serial killers to like compare the handwriting style just to get that like methodic kind of craziness into the handwriting as well. And those are like excerpts and quotes that they decided to come up with. Um, I thought that was really interesting. And, you know, that shows like the commitment to the craft at that point, you know, just trying to really bring us into that world. Um, And speaking of that world, you know, one of the biggest characters in this film and is kind of like the first antagonist, I would say is the city. Oh, yeah. You can tell just by like when he goes to sleep. Yeah. That it's like, oh, it's what's haunting him the whole time. It's always raining there and it's never defined where it's at you know there's a lot of like craziness in like cities like chicago like new york like some of those bigger cities but we never know where we're at i feel like it's a cause somewhere on the east coast i would say you know the North yeah east it doesn't so. seem very like you and i don't think you'd see that type of thing in like la san francisco or seattle it's, yeah it doesn't get grab that feeling at all exactly and it's just it's you know it's what's broken down morgan freeman's character and it's really kind of just like a root of evil the whole entire time and you know gwyneth paltrow is talking about how bad the city is and just it's haunting everybody and it's affecting everyone in it um and probably is what drove kevin spacey's character to do what he did you know it really comes from that city uh and i i love the aesthetic for it it has that you know the the cold colors that david fincher is really good at utilizing um and just that rain, that heavy, intense rain just makes it so eerie the entire time. It really sets a kind of characterization of how the city really is nonstop. Mm-hmm. And also now thinking about it too, they always, you know, like they got, uh, you know, Mills and his wife were kind of screwed over by the real estate guy. He's like, yeah, oh, we yeah. should show him the place for five minutes. And then afterwards you find out it's right uh right by the subway it's like or the subway's right under them i guess or yeah. something i forget how it works but yeah so if it's the subway too that would be new york otherwise unless chicago is the subway it's honestly probably one of those two cities yeah. for sure yeah and i thought it was interesting too that you kind of see the different parts of the city through the characters that are killed where Ooh. you get uh john doe going like you know one by one here's all these different people and the first one's a shut-in who obviously just literally eats a lot. And you could tell by just like the sheer weight plus 
uh, how he was able to like the Kansas spaghetti and whatnot. Yeah. Though I, actually, that's the whole thing. I, I, was it that he didn't even actually own those, or did Kevin Spacey's character go and buy those and then come? Because he said he went to the grocery store and came back. Yeah, it's when he did it. So it's like I, I don't know if he had that kind of stuff, but obviously, like the man was living an interesting life to say the least. Mm-hmm. And then you see like a corrupt DA who is pretty much. Uh, not helping the city instead probably going against it and just making the city worse you have someone that is a what they would consider a fake person in the city where she is supposed to be beautiful on the outside and he says you know like she's ugly on the inside she doesn't Mm -hmm. without her looks uh she would probably kill herself and i thought that was great she had the chance to save herself and she did it yeah oh my gosh that was so brilliant i love that and, and you see, like, I guess the different aspects of what the city does to these people or, like, how these people become what they are in the city. You have, uh, you know, prostitute doing yeah. prostitute stuff. Well, and you know what I loved about it, too, is that we didn't see any of, like, right? We didn't see how they died. We didn't yeah, see, you don't the see them in action. You, know? you don't even see them alive ever, really, yeah. except for that one dude who... Uh, oh man dude that was a jump that was a good scene that was so awesome just gasping for air in front of everyone and then you have what's his face from uh scrubs yeah uh, dr, uh, dr. <laughs> cox played by yeah. I, I gotta uh, i'll find it in a sec but yeah for sure because that was that was kind of insane it was uh not expected to say the least when that did occur uh john c mckinley yeah john c mckinley's the swat captain or like the mm-hmm. swat squad leader uh and he's just like jeez he like falls backwards and is just so shocked his whole thing is like oh the swat guys love this stuff like this is mm-hmm. what they live for that's why they're swat because they get to do stuff like this and this seat like they're used to a gunfight they're not used to seeing a um demented body that's been like tortured and disfigured and then to find out that person's alive and it's just like he doesn't know we how to even process it to the point where he points the gun at him like yes. <laughs> like it's supposed to do what's you gonna do dude it, and, and you know even with the prostitute one the the knife dodo like dude or strap on or whatever jesus christ man that guy in the interrog- interrogation room just like crying just being like he forced me to do this like and i did it and he's he, that guy's alive and having to live with that oh man it's so many of these murders are just like torture on the soul and i don't know another film that's like done that to me where i'm like that's just gross to be gross you know but this one was just like this guy had intentions and he did it strategically and had a method to it and a reason and he went through with it it wasn't just gore to be gory or you know a a, a murder just to like kill someone it had like purpose and meaning and it had that extreme measure and extra step to make a statement not just because and that's what i admired about it the most and if you notice like some of them are different uh others are actually the same but when he does display the sins above each one like the first guy it's through grease which Mm -hmm. is like you know gluttony and grease and the second guy is through blood and uh you know each one's a little bit different i can't remember what they had for uh lust and uh no it was pride i think was that each each one is a little bit different Mm -hmm. but you also notice too he i don't think he does it for all of them but he gives them a choice for a few he oh gives, yeah he does uh, for a few. he gives pride a choice where yeah looks or death mm-hmm. or death and looks or life and uh losing your i guess like what makes you you mm-hmm. or at least what you may think makes you you uh with uh lust he the guy could have probably said no and not uh, killed her with the um i don't even know what the word the like strap on i guess it's a strap on it looked like it's yeah the the edge strap on yeah. or the the the, 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 the strap on sword i don't Dude, whatever you'd want to call it that sword was that blade was intense yeah that was, that. That was like ridiculous that was like some medieval not even medieval i'm like well <laughs> yeah we'll have this. this is like something else this is something demonic man yeah but uh you see, like, that guy probably would have been shot if he didn't do it. Yeah. And uh, he, obviously, you see them make these choices. One mm-hmm. chooses death to preserve her face. The other chooses life by killing someone else. Mm-hmm. Whereas he pro- potentially, at least, either 
he would have saved her or and died in the process or they both would have died but at least her blood wouldn't be on his hands at the yeah. same time mm-hmm. so they still have these choices and you see like kind of what they what happens with it all and especially too he gives brad pitt a choice and you see the way he chooses where it's like you know are you going to conquer your wrath or are you going to become wrath and he lets him win by not only making him the envy the the victim of envy mm-hmm. but uh by making himself wrath and then using pretty much gwyneth paltrow's character as the body of wrath or at least the the death of it where it's like he's the embodiment and she's kind of like the corpse i guess in a sense and emotionally that scene is so good and i think it has to really play in part you know of course brad pitt's awesome it's brad pitt but him and gwyneth paltrow were dating at the time of making this film oh were they yeah and so i think that kind of ties into the emotions he had towards a lot of these scenes and you know when you watch the dinner table how he kind of gets like a little annoyed and everything like because he's really actually dating her so i think all those emotions kind of tie into his acting and it just you know pulled off for the greatest benefit of the film for sure definitely how did um i guess with the sins themselves it reminded me of kind of you see david fincher kind of creating a or i guess him and uh what was the writer's name again oh, andrew uh, walker i believe yeah you see them create a new sense of murders in that feeling of remembered murders like the zodiac killer uh like i guess mm-hmm. <clears throat> technically like ted bundy and whatnot and you know each one is remembered for something specific but they've gone down in history now like everyone for the most part everyone knows who the like not who the zodiac killer is but they know of the zodiac killer and like what they did Mm -hmm. and you think about it too and it's like uh they've created a guy that if he was real would have gone down in line with these people because it's like oh this dude literally did seven deadly sin murders and represented it as a city and it would have probably i'm sure honestly uh been taken differently by all types of people in the city or wherever it was happening from because obviously many people live in fear mm-hmm. like they did with the zodiac and whatnot and it's just kind of funny too because it feels like he's like i'm making my own zodiac yeah and then later on they go he gets he goes i get the direct zodiac yeah right yes, yeah <laughs> it's just like okay here we go again <laughs> yeah it's it, it's kind of one of those you kind of want to say it's generic you know it's it's again going back to the whole formula you know the rookie and the experienced cop it's something that you feel like would have already been done it's so simple and in your face seven deadly sins a murderer you know just like the zodiac killer a murderer it all kind of like you feel like it's been done before but it's so so it makes this film so great it's so unique that it's so simple like the formulas are so you know there's a lot of thought put into it of course but like it's such an easy thing to be like oh that makes sense you can make a noir direct a detective film about this and this guy just happened to nail it on the head and just get every beat right and i don't know i think if it was directed by anyone else besides fincher i don't think it would have been as great as it was because he just has that aesthetic to the film yeah yeah for sure he definitely does and it is also interesting at the same time Part of me did feel, I remember the first, it was a long time ago when I watched it the first time and it was just like more of, it was very much like shock and awe, like, oh my God, this is insane. Mm-hmm. And I guess one of the points, cause I guess I got two. One is you look at all of the other kind of crime drama cop movies. There are detective killer movies. Like you have things like Silence of the Lambs, like mm-hmm. Alex Cross movies, things like that. And they always like, it's an established character or even with Jodie Foster's character. Like she's in only this one movie and they kind of repeating what I said earlier, but they all go into the thing of the detective catches the killer. Potentially someone may die, but like, or someone gets really injured, but they'll catch the killer. The killer will pay and it'll be done. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, it's hard for them to walk away, but otherwise like they, they're pretty much good to go. Whereas this is, honestly probably the darkest uh crime drama out there just in terms of like you know there there wasn't any comeback from this it was very much like the killer one and in the other films and whatnot like you don't actually see that so in a way too 
The other ones, they are more hopeful, they're more bright and up and coming, but they're not as realistic as this would be in the sense of like, mm-hmm. you know, like how does it work? And it's like, you know, people aren't going to come back from this, like pop back up and go, wow, we did it. We solved the crime. It's like, oh, this is destroyed me even more inside. Like for Morgan Freeman, it's probably like another piece of like, I'm just kind of, I have maybe more of a will to fight a little bit, but at the same time too, like there's even less now because now I had to watch another tragedy unfold right in front of my eyes. Mm-hmm. And then Brad Pitt's like, the, there goes that champion. You are going to have a champion. Now that champion's just been uh, taken down to its lowest form of like, well, now he's just like the rest of us. Yep. And even so he's at a commission at the same time. So it's like, dang. Okay. That's so brutal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it just, it, yeah, I was expecting it to be dark, but I did not expect this measure of darkness. Um, yeah. And like I told you earlier, right before we started the show, I've been reading a lot of Spawn comics, and I did not realize how, like, fucked up some of these, like, murders and, like, detective works are in the Spawn comics. And watching Seven this month and, like, reading Spawn all month, I've just been, like, in a really dark place where I'm just trying to find something, like, exciting and bright and hopeful because it's like, man, there's some just crazy stuff to just think about, you know? Um, and it ties so much into this like big city kind of murder detective aesthetic. And it, you know, I don't know how people could do those jobs, you know, looking at the, the first victim on the operating table, his whole huge, everything. He's massive. Even his wing, dude, he had the biggest wing for a dead guy I've ever seen on a dead guy. I don't know if you noticed that, but that stood out to me, but like, (laughs) just (laughs) like the, the we were looking at different things, man. And then, like, the bag of everything, like, his guts and all that, like, it's just, it's it's gruesome, but it's, like, realistic gruesome, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not It's like someone Friday could do this given the opportunity, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not like dude in a hockey mask and you shoot and he comes back and you're like, oh, my God, or it's mm-hmm. like, he came out of the lake and it's like, wait, what? Um, yeah, no, this is definitely, uh, definitely, like, in the wheelhouse of just like, oh, yeah, this could happen. It would take a lot of work and a lot of dedication for this person, but it is possible that they could do this. And given their thing, like obviously he chose to give himself up. He didn't have to, and it would yes. have been another unsolved case at the end of the day, potentially. Because they just going to say that, yeah. Even when they found him, he was just like, "See you." Yeah. And that's that chase itself was very intense. Like it's like kind of frightening because you have Brad Pitt's character because Morgan Freeman. You could tell he's worried, mm-hmm. and because of his worry for Brad Pitt, it's giving the audience a sense of like, oh, he, you feel like the, because he is still technically, I guess, compared to Freeman, he's like the rookie, and you always feel like in these types of films, like the rookie's outclassed by the, uh, uh, the antagonist. Mm-hmm. So you don't feel like something good is going to happen here, especially with the music. And you see Brad Pitt going like piece by piece through rooms, through uh, windows. It's another part. He's not only facing, you know, the John Doe character, but he's going against the city to go against this John Doe character. So he's kind of facing off the two antagonists of the film in that chase. And I think that's what like really like proves how strong of a character he was, but like how much is in front of him that's pushing against him in the film. Like, he just has so much weight in front of him, just trying to maneuver through the city. It's almost impossible. Um, also, Brad Pitt slipped on one of the cars and fucked up his hand on a windshield, and he's in a cast for most of the film. So there's yeah. there's a lot of scenes where he's, like, on the phone and, like, his hand looks almost purple and because the cast goes up to his wrist, and it even slips out sometimes. But he's only using one hand, um, like, for most of the film, and certain scenes it's always lower um, post and before because he messed up. It wasn't the injury they wanted him to have, but he ended up getting it, and it stays kind of within the film, and he has to kind of pull it off. And you know, wait, does he actually get he in? Wait, he actually got injured on set. Yeah, injured on set. Oh, Met, yeah, in a was... cast. No, yeah, no, that was it was the wrong injury, and like he's like kind of holding his arm all bloody, but that's that's real. Like he kept on going, and during the film, they're like, "Oh, we didn't use that take where you messed up your hand. You got a different injury, so you got to play that off for the rest of till it's healed." And his suit, like, there's certain parts where his hand looks weird because of that injury. Um, I thought that was super crazy, just, like... And it sucks they couldn't use that as, yeah. like, the way he wiped out, too. But that happened during that car chase, too. Dang, that's, that, that's freaking crazy. Uh, I, I do see, too, like, at the end of that chase, 
speaking of like i mean going on on the city and stuff like he loses like mm-hmm. uh john doe could have killed uh miller and he doesn't or mills and uh he chooses not to but you see that mills loses and just like that he loses it's like try as hard as you can and he is trying mm-hmm. he's still you can't beat the city that's just another analogy yeah. of just like you could keep trying and stuff but the city still will beat you down at the end of the day uh-huh. and it's just crazy to see um looking at the sins themselves i guess the murders they feel so because the whole thing is the film feels very impromptu like it feels very much like it just happens and you're along for the ride but you never it's just funny seeing the startup where there isn't really that much investment in each murder it's more of the message being sent than the individuals being killed you're just kind of like at the end of the day it's a body you don't really have any care for those that die until like the very end because of who it is but otherwise like it's just a whole thing which at the same time too i guess it's honestly the perspective as well of you're kind of sharing that perspective with detective mills because they're just people to him they're they're not necessarily like they're people you want to see avenged or brought like the killer brought to justice but you don't have any investment as they go through until you know it finally hits home and you're like because throughout the time you're you're just thinking like yeah you're gonna get him you're gonna go to jail just like uh mills is thinking he's like we just need to once we catch him we'll arrest him and he'll service he'll be brought to justice and you pretty much i would say it depends i guess on the person but you get the same mindset that he gets once you discover it's like oh he killed his wife and put his wife's head in a box and you're like you just kill him like you just, yeah. <laughs> you what, just shoot him? what other option do you have as like a human at that point you you know yeah and this all takes place over the course of a week right basically like where they discover all it's the seven yeah seven yeah, days seven, seven sins and it's you know, seeing all of that at once, trying to process it, trying to adjust to a new city, your wife's unhappy at home because of the new city, like you're trying to prove yourself to this like elderly detective, you're trying to prove yourself to the force, and you finally catch this killer and you're trying to just, you know, unravel him, like, you know, in that car ride over in the final scene, he's just trying to be like so... You know, even asking, like, you know, do people that, like crazy like you even know that you're crazy? Do you realize, like, how insane this is? Like, he's trying to process all of this. And then just to find out that's his ending, that's the fate that he gets after all that, after trying to, like, be, you know, optimistic and trying to just help people, that's, like, what he gets. And it, how do you not snap as a human? Yeah. You know, like, how do you not just break and be like, I know this is wrong, but just fuck it. Like, who cares? Like, I, this is, I'm over it. Like, I, there's, you're broken. You're broken. And they really did that just so well. And, you know, it's hard to be like, man, no, he's a cop. He's got to compose himself. He's got to, you know, fight the justice system. And even Morgan Freeman's character is just like, I, I you wish do what I you need. To, I mean, like you, you kill him or you don't, but I, I'm not going to stop you. Yeah I, yeah. I can't do anything. Like, that's it. It's, uh, Man, it, it breaks my heart, and it's it it all makes sense. I think that's a cool part about the film. It all, I believe it all. I believe every yeah. single scene. I believe every single moment, every action. Um, totally, totally buy it. Uh, the you know what's funny about the last kind of chunk of the movie, that little third act, that car ride with Kevin Spacey and everything, that was shot at different times. Um, some of the close-ups with Brad Pitt, uh, were shot like months after because he had to go shoot for what whatever 12 monkeys i think the film is called um and then they had, he had to came back and do some other shoots and then oh. all those long shots from the copter that's none of the actors that's not morgan freeman that's not kevin spacey that's not uh um brad pitt those are their stand-ins because they were oh. all they had to do reshoots on stuff like that and they weren't able to get them back because they were all filming different films and so those are all the doubles. And there's even like a scene where Kevin Spacey's on his knees and he turns to the side and that's Kevin Spacey's double. That's not Kevin Spacey. And you see his face like clearly. And it, it looks just like Kevin Spacey, of course. But um, yeah, that's that's not the actors. And they had to do different huh. types of shooting on that. Yeah. That's and really cool. The ending, the studio wanted to change it too. 
They thought it was really? too much. They thought after everything, it was just... Oh, they right. were like, we need something brighter. Yeah, like in everything you're saying, that's what they wanted. And it, uh, Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt all fought to be like, no, this has to be the end. This, this is how the film goes. Like like what we got, it makes sense. I love it. Um, but they had a fight to keep that ending just to the way it was written, which is, pff, thank God. You know, I couldn't imagine... It, it wouldn't have stood out, I think, today if it had a you know a bright ending. It wouldn't be the film it is. Yeah, no, this one, I'm glad they didn't. And God, it's like damn, Hollywood, stop, stop screwing with stuff. Let them create. Don't, don't mess it up with your crappy messages. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's you know that difference between having like a really good indie comic and like, and like a, a mainstream comic. You know, like you know the ending you're gonna get in an indie comic. It's gonna be real and truthful because it's the creator. But like a Marvel or DC book, you know it's gonna turn out to be a happy ending. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> No, easily for sure. Uh, one thing I did notice, of course, is the things that I'm now that because obviously I've watched, we've all watched tons of movies throughout our lives, but you know we watch them mainly just to watch them and enjoy them. There's exceptional movies we'll just kind of take in and just watch so many times, but we will maybe learn about them, but we don't like go crazy into them or try to figure this out. Whereas like you know watching Fight Club and watching this more much more closely and actually trying to pay attention to things and not watch it as just entertainment, but more so as just like attempting to be a detective and be like, Oh, interesting notes. But like watching to see directors have probably like, obviously a lot of them do and some are more obvious than others. They have very specific uh, reoccurring traits that kind of mark it down as this is a David Fincher film. It's like, as a good example, what is the thing you always associate with a J.J. Abrams movie? Uh, lens the, flares. Yeah, the lens flare, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You think yeah. Lens, you hear J.J. Abrams, you go, yeah, that's the lens flare guy that directs <laughs> movies, right? It's like, yeah, that's him. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan, yeah, that's the twist guy. He just does weird twists that are like, I not, I don't want to watch this now. But like, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Thanks. Um, <laughs> you, then you got David Fincher. And you look at, at least so far, I don't, I don't remember how Zodiac started and whatnot, just because that was, you know, that's actually in the 2000s and like later films, but I don't know how he changed his intros, but you know, you have a very similar intro to Fight Club. Mm -hmm. They're both a little bit different where this one's more of a uh, showing of John Doe and what he's doing, whereas Mm -hmm. Fight Club is like, it is sort of like, you know, it's showing soap and stuff and kind of revealing certain things about the character, but it's very much like a whole you're going through something. So instead of it being like opening credits of like, oh, it's whatever, it's like, you're kind of wanting to, he, uh, David Fincher wants you to pay attention to the yes. intro. He wants you to pay attention to the credits because you're uh, interested in what's going on as you see the names. And it helps just garner uh, interest and prep as it comes along. At least it did back then. I know people, unfortunately now, just because of kind of the state of technology we're in, have shorter attention spans mm-hmm. and patience for this kind of stuff. But it was really cool seeing these. And honestly, it makes me wa- miss them a bit too. Yeah. And another thing he does is, of course, the item close-ups, where he'll zoom in on an item specifically and mm-hmm. the audio changes uh, a lot, the atmosphere changes. Like there's a different feeling in the mix of things. Like you could definitely hear a difference. And I I forget what it was in this one. Like obviously for Fight Club, you see like... Uh, close-ups of the stove of the fridge mm-hmm. other things like that in this one it was oh it was the um what's it called when he goes to sleep the uh the metronome yeah the metronome yeah. and then there was one or two other things too but he he does still zoom in and kind of make items have more of a personality and importance like it's like oh this is something that creates a change yes. in the pacing of the film or like it reveals something that's like oh the metronome uh as you see it you see oh, for Somerset, he has to focus on this in order to fall asleep. Without that thing, he's not going to sleep because he uses that to drown out everything else that's going on around him. And I think that's why when he smashes it, it's such a big moment too because he's just like, again, another character breaking. He's hitting his breaking point where nothing can save him. So, yeah, because he's just, he lays there. He's like Mm -hmm. laying there awake after. And... I really like that you see these as at least now things that I'm going to be looking for in future Fincher films. It's yes. like now I'm seeing these trademarks that he has that kind of 
makes it his. So I want to see more of that, or at least I'll have an eye for it now. And I'll be like, oh, there you go. That's how I'll know it's a Fincher movie. It's all kind which of is interesting, kind of an homage to the sense to Alfred Hitchcock because the way his films are and everything. And when you watch the beginning of like Psycho or something, um, it does have that same intro and you see the eyeball and the color and like the tint and everything. It sets the mood right away. I was just watching Coming to America last night. <laughs> totally different <laughs> spectrum. It's but... like the same thing as Seven. What do you? It's like you <laughs> yeah, know. That, that that intro in the beginning where you're flying through Africa, leading up to the um, his temple and everything. You know, it's uh, that type of intro really sets the pace of like we're we're entering the film, we're entering this world, and it's taking you through the tunnel. And it's I love it. I love I love seeing that at the beginning of a film. Definitely. Um, I'm trying to think of any other do you have any other points you want to get through I honestly I, I pretty much hit all the main things that I wanted at least I have two things left that I didn't get to bounce off of yet um, just because they didn't come up yet but Morgan Freeman Morgan Freeman <laughs> Morgan Freeman the sequel to our <laughs> beloved <laughs> Morgan Freeman um, the knife the knife scenes oh Dude. the switchblade yes he I it's funny because it was honestly a red herring to me. Oh. Uh, even though it was used, and it was used, because first you see it, um, you just see it on hand, and then eventually you see him cut through like the keep out tape mm-hmm. uh, when he goes through, and then you see him use it as a throwing knife, just as a stress reliever yeah. when he's at home. And he's, you have the dartboard, and you look at the dartboard, and you look around it, and you see the walls, and you could see either he wasn't paying attention or he lost composure, mm-hmm. but you see there's holes in the walls around the dartboard, which yeah. he's just like throwing it anywhere. Uh, and of course, it's the, it uh, once again, another item that has this it, it makes change mm-hmm. it opens the box and then creates that entire event where if he waited and didn't open it and did not use that knife it would have probably uh kept uh mills as a detective albeit still a um traumatized detective because ah. his wife would still be dead obviously that wouldn't stop her from dying but he could have uh, changed but- the ending you know yeah you're right i didn't think about it that way yeah, so it's honestly, that was a very big catalyst. And honestly, as a red herring, I thought it was going to be like the dude's throwing the knife and they were eventually going to get in a fight with John Doe and guns would be of no use at a certain point. So he would throw the switchblade and take him out with it. it. And it never happens, you know? So it's like always a thing that you think of and it's just like, oh man, I really thought, you know, that switchblade was going to be the... That was gonna be the thing that did that. It's like, grace. no, it did something that was worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Instead of being the saving grace, it's like what literally unwrapped the the final scene. Um, man, that it. I thought it was super cool because also that's Morgan. Th- uh, Morgan, why am I saying you were gonna do it? Again. I was gonna do it again. <laughs> I'll just say, hang on, real fast. <laughs> we're both very tired this week. Like he's had finals, and I've been going through some other stuff this week, staying pretty freaking busy. So we're both like right this is yeah we're, we're our brains are dead so sorry if it feels like we're all over the week. place here i graduate yeah. so i'm done i'm done with everything um but also you know that knife you know the throwing scenes in the apartment that is a prop knife and it's unbalanced and it's not like meant for that and they were just gonna like have him like prep to throw it and then use like a wire to have it hit the wall like traditional knife throwing scenes um but that's morgan freeman throwing that knife and hitting that board like on camera that's all him right there and that just makes him that much more badass like that's morgan freeman just nailing it into that bolt into that wall um also you said he wanted another take <laughs> yeah right yeah. <laughs> also, never mind the library i think the library scene is one of my favorites um mm. not only does it show like character um development um with uh the detective but also that is actually a bank and all those really? books in that library are fake. They're all glass. I, I was really hoping you were gonna say they're all money. <laughs> yeah, right. Just <laughs> they're all fake. It's actually money. You're, you're, but it's also the money. same exact bank that's in the movie The Mask with Jim Carrey. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? So one was used for. <laughs> <I just> <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh god, it's oh yeah. It's like so. oh yeah, this is in the the premiere film uh, seven that really you know garnered a bunch of stuff. Hey, let's put Jim Carrey in a green mask <laughs> and just have him run around. And it's like it's soiled now. You've ruined it. This it's, bank needs to be burned. It's so funny because I mean it's a real location. It's a real bank. All of that. So man, we got to do the mask now. Just to, <laughs> that's you know what? Let's let's do that in five years. We could, that's technically also a comic. We could do that for Apollo. I don't think we could do an actual breakdown of this film. Oh, and you know what I found out that um they turned seven into a comic book adaptation there's a seven part um by xenoscope entertainment they kind of do a lot of adult books too um uh and they're always at comic-con i've 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 seen stuff there but uh yeah they did us like in 2008 2007 they did a adaptation and now it's a graphic novel too i would bet it was 2007 it would just make more sense oh it does that really does and if it's a seven part comic yeah. mm-hmm. if it's an issue oh that, yeah they, yeah, perfect. they yeah, had they this planned out they were like oh we know just how to do this but uh i i did um that that's interesting tidbits about the switch plate and stuff uh i i thought at least for the library scene i guess i didn't think about it until just now but you see it also as his sanctuary Yes. Like he, even his own house, he can't be safe. Like this is a place like just like the security guys are all there mm-hmm. and they're just hanging out there and they're like, oh, well, you know, we'll get your music for you. And it put, they put on very classical music mm-hmm. and you could tell like this is the probably the most serene, peaceful place he has yep. in his life. And it's the one place you could find solace while he goes through and like studies and solves crime. And, you know, again, going back to contrasting characters, you know, Morgan Freeman's in the library doing research, digging through these books and reading them and trying to find these key elements where Detective Mills, he can't grasp it. He's too frantic. He moves too fast. And he has to get like the Spark Notes versions of all these books. He gets very tired. He gets frustrated <laughs> very quickly. So that's the whole thing. He just pl- plays by his emotions and there's no bigger, like all of his emotions, just when it comes down to it, all just hit wrath and anger. And it's just yes. like, oh, he just gets angry and all this other stuff and it's like dang if you only if you could control that it would just be a lot better for him it was uh definitely a good experience i'm glad we chose these two films out of the two if you had to choose one which one was your favorite (sighs) oh man i personally probably have to say fight club just because of the message and it does have the more optimistic message of just like, you know, wake up and do this stuff. Whereas mm-hmm. the other one, it is also saying wake up, but it's not doing it in the best way where I'm like, you know, I want to go and I want to really look at things the real way and maybe not get caught up in commercialism and whatnot mm-hmm. and consumerism. And this one's like, I'm going to go kill some people. And <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, I'm going to pick the one where I don't have to go kill a bunch of people. <laughs> I... <laughs> I totally agree. I uh, I was looking at my um, my video shelf the other day. Um, I was just trying to see something for me and my girlfriend to watch. And I realized that, you know, I was watching the Blu-ray of Fight Club that I own. And I was like, oh, what DVDs do I have? And then I found the Steelbook DVD of Fight Club as well. <laughs> I, oh, nice. And I was like, oh, I own two copies of this movie. Um, so it's definitely Fight Club for me. Um, it's, again, you know, and it's, of course... It's a movie that came a few years later. We see Brad Pitt established a bit more. We see Fincher established a bit more. Um, his every, Everyone that worked with him on this film, a lot of them carried over to future films as well. Uh, this had like, you know, and this was even, they did a cover of a Nine Inch Nails song. And later on, he worked with Trent Reznor for soundtracks on Girl with a Dragon Tattoo and The Social Network as well. And so this was like a great, you know, we almost should have done this one first, but I'm glad we didn't. You know, I'm glad this was second because I admire it so much more. But yeah, Fight Club is definitely the my choice of the month for sure. Um, but damn, they're both 100% worth watching. I have no complaints, like critical complaints about either one. They're fantastic films, fantastically written. Um, damn, just Fincher just blows my mind. I can't wait to watch more of his films. I'm excited to see more of his stuff now. Um, and that's how I felt when I saw Fight Club. Oh, yeah. Uh, Fight Club thing. Also, this was when I was really into it in high school. I was also into that band called Finch, and it sounds like Fincher, but it's like oh. called Finch and what it is to burn. And they have all the Fight Club songs. They have like Project Mayhem and stuff. Oh, like that. that's smart. Yeah. That's very. Oh, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Holy crap! Yeah, yeah. So I thought, you know, I think that's why that movie connected with me because I was one of my favorite albums in high school. Um, so that was like I meant to bring that up last episode, but. Yeah, I mean that was my that's that's my pick for the month. I'll never get tired of that movie. Uh, 
But damn, good job, Seven. And coming out in 1995, yeah, I'm glad. I feel like this couldn't have been made now, unfortunately, or at least if it was, it wouldn't have hit the same notes and it wouldn't be right. as taken in as happily because everyone would be like no i already i hate the world enough i don't, <laughs> I don't want this too yeah you so, want now we want you know detective films noir films like knives out or something you know like which is a fantastic film yeah but, just, uh, everything's a lot different now mm, yeah yeah for sure um but, man yeah. that's our episode <laughs> sutra Sidewatch. uh what are we hitting up next month february the month of love Oh, there's nothing that says love more than a man going as a secret agent and ma- making love to tons of women as he goes through a bunch of missions. <laughs> We're doing James Bond, people. Yes. And this is so I'm not going to lie. Sutra Sidewatch isn't it's not it's there's not going to be any flagship movies or anything. But I'll just say that for a fourth of the year. It's just going to be James Bond. Yes. Uh, yeah. We're we're doing three months of the year. We'll have uh, different Bond films. And we're not going to go in chronological order or anything like that. We're not going to be like, oh, it's Dr. No from Russia with Love and Thunderball and so on. Or it was Goldfinger, then Thunderball. But uh, instead, we're doing kind of like a film from each Bond. And if there's like some months where maybe we can fit in an extra one. Then we'll probably take one of the Bond movie uh, actors that have the most films and just like knock one out too. But for the first month, we're doing uh, Sean Connery. I like. I, don't know, I, I, I know, know. I was trying to think but of it too. I, I was like, I know we're doing Doctor No, but <laughs> Sean Connery from Doctor No and George Lazenby from Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which uh, that is the only George Lazenby uh, Bond film. So that'll be the one and only with him. But we'll be going through those too. And if I heard correctly, I think we'll have our first uh, of our rotating third shares. And potentially what the way I see it is we'll probably have a, uh, a person with this for each different month. So like one person will be here for February, one person will be here for March. There still will probably be uh, months where it's just the two of us too. Uh, but for this month, I believe uh, another Apollo uh, member will be joining us. We'll get uh, California Brandon Oh, cool. Joining for both Bond movies. Oh, sweet. So that'll be fun. I, was, yeah. I haven't he, been around. Because he, he loves weeks. James Bond, so I think he'll want to show up for those. It'll be fun. It'll be a great, <laughs> be a great time. I can't wait. I, I think I might grab the books and I might try to tear through them um, real fast because they're not long. I have Casino Royale. It took me like a week to read it. So I might, you know, try to provide some extra insight on these two. Uh, I'll let you go through those. <laughs> <laughs> but I am excited. Uh, thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all for checking this out. Um, which is our one hour show so that's that's about our number there definitely and once again uh brandon where can people find you instagram youtube uh all your social not all your social numbers that's a lie instagram youtube <laughs> facebook twitter check and, out tiktok uh, y'all yeah <laughs> everyone just searching for like days um yeah. man we gotta jump on that j- tiktok train maybe people i don't do want, like I don't that. want, I don't want to no i'm not doing that's that a whole different topic <laughs> um, <but laughs> all the podcasting <laughs> streaming networks as well um check out apollo city comics um, you could check out my portfolio website, brandonblockstorf.com, and it links to everything as well. Um, you can find it all there, and also links to all of these episodes that I'm on as well. So, and Cameron, where can we find some sutrumness? So, of course, once again, you're on our Sutra Side Talk channel right now. But of course, if you haven't listened to them and you're just listening to this, check out Sutra Side Talk. It's a, a weekly show where we talk about games, movie, and TV news, and what we've been watching and playing. We also got up to it, down to it. A show I do with some college friends that uh, I went to school with, obviously since they're college friends, uh, and it's a very inconsistent show. So you'll might get an episode or two in a month, or you'll get one episode in one month and another in three months later, or something ridiculous. But uh, that one is four guys doing uh, a random topic, and we just go crazy off the rails with it. Probably the craziest show I got. And then of course our new just came out, The Cut of Steel. Yes. our DC Extended Universe movie podcast, where for now we're going, uh, each movie's an episode and we talk about what we thought was successful, what failed in the films, and what we would change given the chance. And you can listen to the overviews there, The Cut of Steel with Sutro, and then we're doing the movie commentaries, live reactions to the film uh, on Apollo City Comics. So you get your double dose of all of these. So live, like... One one episode, our commentary is just live reactions, us watching it all together. And Cut of Steel is a much more composed, thought out 
we've taken a breath, we've slept on it, and then we're <laughs> definitely gonna go taking a breath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because our pilots, uh, our pilots, Man of Steel, of course, mm-hmm. and we're planning. It's not gonna be. It's gonna be mostly order of release, except for the first couple. Uh, mm-hmm. It's gonna instead of uh, after BVS, we're gonna do Weed and Justice League just to prepare for the Snyder Cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then afterwards we'll do like Suicide Squad and uh, Wonder Woman but uh, instead we'll be doing those first and like I said you can check out Man of Steel now probably a week after this or so uh, one or two weeks we will have the BVS episode 2 out and I believe for you guys your commentary for BVS will come out before Man of Steel Uh, all of our commentaries are coming out in March we're counting down to Snyder Cut yep Sounds good. Yeah, so you get them there. So you'll get, ironically, the composed uh, episodes we recorded after the crazy commentaries, <laughs> and then you can check out the crazy commentaries later. So, <laughs> It'll be, be fun, fun. time. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see how that goes. But um, you could also check me out, GoGoComzilla, on uh, Twitter and Instagram if you haven't. And of course, follow the show, Sutra Side Talk, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, give us those follows. Share us out. That's the best you can do. But of course, until uh, in two weeks when we get into. Dr. No and James Bond. We'll catch y'all later. Thanks for hanging, man.